welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. March 10th, I will be at the Stand-Up Comedy Club in Bellflower for the Slanted Comedy Show with Walter Hong, Aiden Park, PK, and Dante Chang. March 19th, I will be at Santa Monica's High Los Angeles Santa Monica Hostel for the Comedy in English show. That starts at 8.30 p.m. March 20th, I will be at the Pasadena Comedy Club at 7 p.m. I'll be doing a longer set that day. March 22nd, I will be doing an online show with Applause Stream. So you could follow them at Applause Stream on Instagram and find the link there. But it's called the Laugh From Your Living Room show, which is at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. March 30th, I'm going to be in Chicago at Zany's. I will be there at 8 p.m. And then shortly thereafter, you could catch me at Discount Therapy at Burke's Public House, which will also be at 8 p.m. So I'm going to be doing a show back to back. I want to give you an update, you guys. I have nothing new going on. (laughs) I got nothing new going on. I feel like I haven't really given an update on my podcast. You know, I was sort of going through my earlier podcast episodes and man my monologues were long back then like super fucking long because I was just yammering on and on about all these personal problems and it's like a tad embarrassing if I'm completely honest with myself but on the other hand it's also not embarrassing at all because I was where I was exactly where I needed to be at the time and I was working things out by speaking into the microphone speaking into a public forum about life and about society, about questions around being an artist and artistry and creativity. And man, I have to hand it to you. You guys really have uh, great listening skills because I couldn't listen to most of that shit. I was like, good God, Grace, just put it away. Stick it in your diary. And the thing is, I journal every day. I journal every day and yet I still needed to talk. I journal every day and I have therapy and I still needed to talk and I have friends and I still, it still wasn't enough. It's not, it's never enough. But I think in the last, I don't know, maybe a couple of months, my monologues were shorter because I was just so preoccupied with writing my book. And I think a lot of uh, stuff was getting processed through that. And I've been trying to make creative writing more of a regular routine ritual for myself. Like shortly after I finished the first draft of my novel, I I still had the sort of the creative juices flowing and I kept writing short fiction. I was writing a bunch of short stories and uh, that has now slowly slowed down, but I still am trying to write at least one short story every few days. So I, I do that and uh, I'm reading, I'm still reading very slowly. I'm very slowly digesting the uh, the Estes book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, and 
it's really weird because each chapter that I read, I feel like it's exactly the chapter I'm supposed to be reading in the time. So right now I'm reading this chapter about rest and the importance of rest. And I just never give myself a break ever. I, like I find giving myself a break to be this enormously guilt-ridden experience. And it just doesn't have to be because that's the ebb and flow of life, you know, like creativity lives and thrives. And then there's a moment where it dies and that death doesn't mean it's a permanent death. It just means there's a cutoff point and then there's a time for rejuvenation and relaxation and revitalization. And that period of rest is crucial. So I haven't gone to get a, a massage therapy in a really long time, like in, in several months, I guess since the fall. So I called my go-to spot because I used to go to this spot in North Hollywood and I always go to the same masseuse, June. And uh, when I called to make an appointment, they said, June no longer works here. And it was such a shock to my system because I was like, fuck, like I haven't, like I, I just took, I took June for granted. I took that, that therapy spa for granted. And I thought June will always be there for me. And she's not there. And there's no way to find out where she is, you know, cause I don't know where she, what, like, went to to work. So anyway, I, I went to a place in Sherman Oaks to get my massage therapy and um, boy, was it painful. I mean, boy, did I miss June because June, she would be like, just, just tough enough with me, you know, like, cause I have these really terrible kinks in my upper shoulder and my neck. And I've had migraines this past week, which I haven't had in a while. And I like, June just knew how to adjust and accommodate my body very well. And like, she just always personalized the experience. Like she would tell me like how my body had changed since the last time we worked together, or she would tell me like how some parts of me are more flexible than last or how some parts are a little bit more, you know, like tight than last. And it, like, she, she was just very good at personalizing the experience and adjusting to my body. Whereas this lady, my God, I mean, boy, does she, brutalize me you know like I, I feel like I have bruises you know and that's when you know like the masseuses they're good at their job but they're not they they're not good at like accommodating the client you know like meeting me at my needs like she's not so good at that she's more like insistent on her method and that to me doesn't make a very good massage therapist so I'm not sure if I'll be going back to that particular masseuse but I did like the location. I mean, I liked the spa in general. It was like clean, it was very upscale, it made me feel good. Um, but I think taking steps to this kind of self-pampering is a proper way of dealing with this rest period because I want I'm very keen on like getting to my next project. Like I, I think I mentioned here on this podcast, I wanna work on my K-drama school book again. I'm back on that shit. And I'm like frustrated with myself because my words are not flowing as easily as they did with the novel. And it's because I just haven't, I just haven't the energy, the energy is diminished. So I'm thinking of going to another spa tomorrow, not for a, like, bod like a body massage, but I'm going to go to a Korean sauna tomorrow. I think that's what I'm going to do. 
spend all spend the whole day at the Korean sauna, get some work done, get some bodily relaxation done, you know, just pamper myself, like eat delicious food and watch some Korean dramas and take a nap and I don't know, maybe I'll do a face pack and then go hit up a couple mics. You know, I think that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. And I'm excited. I'm excited. And I, I hope you guys figure out a way to pamper yourselves too. No matter where you're at or what you do, I think now at this very moment is the perfect time for you to go and pamper yourselves. How's that? How's that for, for a radical idea? <laughs> okay, you guys, the show I'm going to talk about today is called Producers. And uh, it is a 2015 KBS drama written by Park Ji-eun, co-written with Kim Ji-seon. Now, Park Ji-eun is the writer of many Korean drama hits like My Love from the Star. Who doesn't love that one? Everybody knows that one. The Legend of the Blue Sea. Another huge one. Crash Landing on You. Boom. Everybody knows Crash Landing on You. Big, big hits. Park Ji-eun has roots in Korean sitcoms and comedy programs. So she wrote for several sitcoms, including Great Friends. It starred Yoo Jae-seok, Nam Hee-seok, and Lee Hyo-jae, who are three very major 1990s comedians. And I didn't even know that these comedians did a sitcom together back in the year 2000. I had no idea that Yoo Jae-seok did a sitcom. And I, I've been looking some up on YouTube, and they're terrible, but... You know, for the times, like, I'm sure they were something. I mean, no, actually, they were terrible. Like, in the year 2000, I don't know what I watched. I think I watched, like, um, uh, Sechingu, Three Friends, Sechingu. Like, that was a good show, I think, that I used to watch in the year 2000. In any case, sitcoms were huge back in the 1990s, but by the mid-2000s, they were kind of drying out. They were not so much the trend anymore. And uh, studio variety shows became extremely popular during that time. So game shows uh, starring with, with celebrities, like celebrity regulars and celebrity guests, like k-pop idol kind of machinery thing like that's that's what was happening in the mid-2000s and they were all hosted by you just hug so you just hug stopped doing sitcoms and he went and did that and to this day you just hug is still the go-to mc and host in the republic of korea Park Ji-un wrote for several variety shows as well she wrote like something like seven or eight variety shows she also wrote for radio programs so she's done a diverse range of work as a tv writer and her comedic work explains why her dramas tend to have a comedic tone in them right and this is something you see in all the shows that i mentioned they're all they're all more like dramedies rather than pure dramas so producers is set in the uh, building of kbs korean broadcasting system and it's a self-reflexive show where it digs into the kbs variety show department's culture so it's a mockumentary hybrid where you see characters speak directly into the camera speaking as if they're analyzing the tendencies of the industry and its flaws but there are also dramatic moments where characters appear to be unaware of the camera's presence and they just kind of let things you know just pan out so it's hard for me at times to follow what perspective we're looking from like what's the lens that we're looking at the situation from 
But I think it's a good show. You have lots of cameo appearances. Like Shin Dong-yup is in it. Shin Dong-yup was huge in the 90s. He's still a big uh, major MC and host. But Shin Dong-yup made it big through the sitcom uh, Namja Set, Yeoja Set, Three Guys and Three Girls. Yi Young-ja is also in it. She's a huge, like, like, like 90s, early 2000s, like, comedian, like, female comedian. She was the one. Yi Young-ja was the one. Chun Hyun-moo is in it. Uh, Jang Hyuk is in it. Park Jin Young or JYP, he's in it. Sandara Park is in it. Minu is in it. Jisoo is in it. Even the Oscar-winning actress Yoon Yeo Jung is in it. And there are over a dozen more cameos. And it is a very, how do I say, it, it calls attention to itself through its celebrity cameos. I wrote about this show in my dissertation and I call it the industry's love letter to viewers, which shows the grueling efforts and lengths that TV producers and industry workers, particularly in the variety show department, go through in order to deliver a show to viewers. So shows like Ilbagir, right? Two Days, One Night. That's like a very um, demanding set to be on because people have to stay up all the time. They're hungry. They're overworked. They're not sleeping enough. They're tired. So it really goes to show the dramatic lengths that these producers go to in order to deliver a show. This is a star-studded cast. You have IU and Kim Soo-hyun. Okay, Kim Soo-hyun, everybody knows from My Love from the Star. He's also in... It's okay to not be okay. So it's a Hallyu star-studded cast. Very beloved actors, but um, I would say Gong Yoo-jin and Cha Tae-yeon are more beloved and well-known locally. And Kim Soo-yeon and IU are perhaps bigger Hallyu stars. I personally love both of these actors, though. Gong Yoo-jin is a, she's a Hallyu hero of mine. Cha Tae-yeon I also adore because he's, you know, forever in my heart from that movie my sassy girl i think they're excellent performers and they're also amazing comedic actors their comic sensibility and timing is really like just spot on and i think uh honestly they're better actors at this point in time in the year 2015 they're better actors than iu and kim soo-young and that just goes to show that you know time and seasoning plays a role the show also offers a self-reflexive expose on the difficulties of a k-pop star through iu's character cindy who was working as a k-pop idol since she was a teenager and it shows the loneliness as well as the mental and physical challenges that stars undergo to maintain their careers as k-pop stars it also shows the tension that artists have with their managing agencies which hold way too much power over young artists and their careers and this is all based on real challenges that k-pop stars face when working in the music industry in Korea. They have very little power because the managing agencies are vertically integrated, where agents, managers, lawyers, coordinators, and everybody who works for the star are employed by a single company. And this makes it hard for artists to protect their own rights because, you know, like if you're if you're a law, if you're law department as part of the company that hires you then of course they're going to defend the company they're never going to defend the artist and their rights right so there's a conflict of interest as an artist signing up for that kind of deal so anyway it makes it hard for artists to protect their own rights and cindy's character exposes some of these difficulties it also shows how KBS is structured and managed as a public broadcaster and how it's overseen by network elders. So these are former PDs who are now retirees, who now work as the Korean Communications Commission 
board members that push censorship and call in employees for penalties or scoldings for certain artistic choices made on a program. So if somebody was wearing an inappropriate outfit, so to speak, usually a woman is like, oh, she's like too exposed. Okay, then they're going to get called upstairs. If somebody says a lewd word or makes a disgusting reference, then they're going to get called upstairs, right? So a lot of these producers on television, they self, they make an effort to self-censor themselves because they don't know exactly what is going to offend the elders upstairs. But, you know, they do their best to guess. And then when it when they fall, then they do have to go upstairs. And I interviewed a former um, SBS radio program PD, and she said that when they get called upstairs by the KCC, usually they have to write like a pansangmun, which is like, it's literally a letter <laughs> where you like self-flagellate like you're like oh like I'm a bad person because xyz and this is what I did wrong and I'm so sorry it's like an apology letter that you write for your supervisor but also for yourself it's like very it's very infantilizing actually and it's embarrassing if I had to do that I would be furious and I'm pretty sure that's the reason why they make you do it is to treat you like a child and is to humiliate you and I don't know, like, I feel like Koreans are really good at that. They're really good at shaming you through humiliation uh, by making you feel like an idiot or making you feel like a child. I mean, they're really good at that. They're experts at that. Anyway, Producers is a very interesting show. It's very brief, only 12 episodes. I was very surprised by that. But it's essentially a fusion of a variety show with a Korean drama. So you're getting a Korean drama, but you're really seeing the inside back channel of how a variety show is produced and what go what happens on a set like that and uh yeah it's a it's an interesting show if you want to understand the industry as a whole in a sort of a light-hearted way today's guest is kate checka she is a british stand-up comedian i met her in berlin kate and i co-produced uh a comedy show called Woke Panties when we were in Berlin and we had some amazing comics in that lineup. It was an amazing show the first time we did it and it was in an amazing venue like everybody on the lineup was a woman of color. Every the the host, the venue host, they're all also it was like event the venue was run by women of color and it was in Vedding, which is this uh, lovely neighborhood in Berlin and it was just such an amazing show like and it was all donation based but we all made a lot of money that night and then we went to this excellent bar just down the street that I remember it was like a castle it was so beautiful and like I just remember having such a great time that evening and that will forever be a part of my memory with Kate Cheka. and Kate is currently in London kicking ass working as a working comic and she's writing and she's doing amazing things. So let's talk to Kate Cheka. We're in London now? Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm in sunny old London. Not that uh-huh. How long um, have you been there? Like, I mean, when did you leave Berlin? I left twice, actually. It was like, it was I want to break up. You know when you break up with an kind of abusive boyfriend and then you go back to them? Yeah. <laughs> and then you have to break up with them again. Yeah. Yeah, I left at the beginning of the first, like, bit of pandemic and, like, lockdown. And I was like, I'm going to go home to my mom, look after her. She's alone. Did that. Then things opened up. I was like, oh, I'm going to go back to Berlin. I love Berlin. Went back to Berlin. Lockdown hit again. And I was like, mm-mm. 
I'm not, I'm not here for this. So I went back to my mum again. And then we got sick of living with each other because there's only so long you can have a like 73 year old as a housemate before you're like, oh my God, no. So yeah. then I moved to London. Okay. What are you doing in London these days? Comedy. The thing that we know each other from. <laughs> <laughs> London has a more, uh, um, how do I say, like a more rigorous kind of scene, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I wouldn't say that people are like more like better at comedy or anything though, because of that. I feel like, like in Berlin, people were like had very original comedy, which I quite enjoyed. And there were a lot of people doing it just for like the fun of it. And like, I quite liked Berlin. The Berlin's in London is like very competitive for sure. But I don't know if I think it breeds better comedy. I feel like I shouldn't slag off the scene that I'm now part of. Everyone here sucks. They don't. There's a lot of really good comedians that I enjoy yeah. very much. But I don't know if I feel yeah. like it's amazing comedy, mm. per se. Not all of it. Mm. Some of it is, obviously. Some yeah. of it's way better than Berlin, but yeah. some of it isn't. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true of, like, all these scenes, you know? Like, I mean, it's like yeah. London is pretty well respected for its comedy scene because it's... It's done in the English language and you have people like Ricky Gervais and like, you know, that other guy. <laughs> I, <forget his> name. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we do Eddie have Izzard, that other guy. Yeah. 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 Eddie Izzard's also huge. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, uh, you know, just because it's more rigorous and competitive doesn't necessarily mean or equal to greater comedy or better comedy. I think sometimes it does. Um, but yeah, you're right. There were a lot of original comics in Berlin. And I think that is yeah. what made it quite lovely. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. So comedy in London, feel... isn't it, isn't it way more different there though? Like in different terms in of, like, I mean, you know, you don't get a free beer at every single show i mean um, every single you barely mic. you no one is giving out free drinks which is maybe the reason i'm actually angry maybe it's nothing to do with the competitiveness and the lack of free drinks because i love a free drink <laughs> um there's a lot of ways people try and make you pay to perform in yep. subtle and less subtle ways um which i also don't love and i loved about berlin was yeah you could always pick your lineup they didn't care if you doubled up if you're running around town doing a couple a night they always yeah. gave you a free drink it was it was very yeah. nice and like i don't yeah. know i feel like i imagine you have if not similar like certain kinds of stories about that difference between berlin and la yeah yeah i think uh that is sort of what makes the competition um apparent is that um in la new york you don't have to buy a drink or pay $5 in order to get stage time. Whereas in Berlin, they pay you through either a drink or they give you like a couple of euros just to say, thanks for putting on a show, even if it's an open mic, meaning it's really, yeah. I mean, the audience is doing us a favor, but there is mm. this sort of respect and appreciation for the performer and I think that's what made Berlin's comedy scene somewhat nurturing because, yeah. uh, you know, as comics, we are putting our ego on the line 
every time we go up on stage and that's a risk that we're taking and in you know in some in these cities like new york and la and london they're like well fuck you and your ego you you can either suck or you can be great or you could be mediocre but it's all up to chance and uh fuck you you know like let's see <laughs> let's see how much you can take let's see how much yeah. of this shit you can take until you actually stop so then in in these cities it's more about showing up and doing the work and sticking around rather than enjoying it for the love of the thing or the craft or whatever the I fuck, know. You know but i feel like that in comedy which is in such a way such a pure art form it's, it's immediate you go on stage they either like it or they don't they laugh or they don't they'll let you know straight away and you know whether you did well or not you can't hide behind it you can't like paint the picture and then a bit later one reviewer likes it one reviewer doesn't like it's on the whole they either were with you or they weren't it's mm. i think it's a shame to make something that is primarily about fun and joy to be so like rigorous and to really like trying to weed out certain kinds of people that maybe don't have like the stamina or resilience for it because they don't believe that just because people are sensitive or don't have the kind of that resilience makes them bad comics they don't think that is something yeah. that naturally correlates um mm. i do think i imagine that london would be maybe better than the us mm -hmm. in terms of like you progress quite quickly like you get more time quite easily. You go from your five to your 10 to your 15. And that happens quite quickly. Yeah. And then you do an hour in Edinburgh within like the first few years of you doing comedy. Whereas yeah. from what I know of the US, obviously I haven't been there. I'd love to mm -hmm. go. Mm -hmm. um, it takes like a long time before you get your hour, you know. Mm -hmm. About anymore. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think, I think in general, yeah, it should take about 10 years. Um because 10 years yeah i mean eight to ten i would say eight to ten for an hour yeah because i don't know like everybody writes at a different pace you know there's some comics who write every single day there are some comics who write every mo once a month you know um there are comics that i see in la who've been doing the same five minute set for like two years you know like i see some of that too and uh it's really like a matter of how much you're writing and just because you write everything doesn't mean that all of it needs to be in your act um and it doesn't always mean that everything in your act is going to land with everybody either i think the reason why it takes eight to ten years i'm just going to say ten because that's usually the more typical thing mm. uh, is because comics need to take their material around and tour it and see how their material lands with a variety of different audiences. And depending on what region you're in, what part of town you're in, what your what the demographic is like among your audience members, th that landing is gonna vary greatly. And I think that's why it takes comics so long to figure out like what their act really is and what their voice really is and um, to know for sure that this is something that works in every single room and not not a lot of their stuff from that hour is going to work in every single room if they've only been doing it for a year, two years, three years. It's got to take eight to ten, whereas where they take it all around the country or the globe and they figure it out, you know, and I think that's why um, 
yeah, like when I go to Berlin, like I treat it like boot camp and I'll write 45 minutes of new material. But when I bring it back to the States, about five to 10 minutes of that is usable. And then even from that, there, about half of it, I chop out and I lose anyway. So uh, yeah, it's, it's humbling, I would say. I think comedy is very humbling. For sure, for sure. It'll yeah. kick you down, like, you know, kick you in the teeth to let you know when, it yeah. <laughs> when it's not feeling you. <laughs> yeah. But uh, l- last time we saw you in Berlin, you were working on a degree. Um, and were you, did you yeah. finish it? I did. I literally, no one's asked me this because I don't think anyone knows I was doing, no one in London knows I was doing my master's. But yeah, yeah, I got my certificates. I went home just after Christmas and my certificates were there. I graduated with my master's from the Humboldt University, Berlin. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. Congratulations on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, are you like working or anything or are you just living the comics life? Mm no right now i'm just faffing around doing comedy doing some writing i wrote a book that i actually wrote the book before i started ever doing comedy yeah um it wouldn't have been a, really a book then it was too short but um uh-huh. i wrote a thing and yeah. then it, during lockdown when i couldn't do comedy i sort of dragged it off of the file on my laptop and dusted yeah. it off and yeah. um yeah, was like redoing stuff with that, and yeah. Um, yeah, and that's sort of like it's weird. It's a weird book. It's like feminist sci-fi fiction. All the men are in cages, um, yeah. an ongoing theme and ambition of my life. I would like to probably add. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I uh, I sent it to a lot of competitions. It started to get a bit of traction. It gets shortlisted for things. It won a prize recently. Got five hundred pounds, which is cool. That's great. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, I'm in one of these kind of in-between phases of post-degree. We're going to chuck some stuff at the wall, see what sticks. Yeah. Comedy seems to be going quite well in London. Um, yeah. I got an agent yeah. uh, a few months ago, so that's pretty cool. A touring agent or a yeah, talent it's a, it's agent? A, yeah, like a comedy agent. So okay. it is the comedy store, which is the it's their management so the main comedy club in or like the most well known of the comedy clubs in london in the yeah. center of town uh, yeah i did that that comedy store is not it's not affiliated with the la comedy store is it i don't think so i think yeah. they're separate entities interesting that's great congratulations with that yeah. yeah touring is so important and that's fun it's fun to tour yeah yeah are you doing any show dates coming up? Um, around London. I mean, just wherever. Or, yeah, outside I mean, of London. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I've got a couple outside of London. I'm just, I'm run right now, like running around doing mainly tens, fifteens, working on that, working on something to do split a bill within Edinburgh because the system really here is, I think, that you you spend a year sort of writing new material. And if you become yeah. like an established comic, you've been going for six, seven years, say, right. you would be working every year to get a new hour for Edinburgh because you don't tour it around as much. You would do it like at smaller festivals like Brighton Comedy Festival. I think it's mm-hmm. Brighton Fringe, Leicester Comedy mm-hmm. Festival, all of these places. And then you would take it to Edinburgh. And in Edinburgh, it's like you have all the reviewers there. You have all the comedians there. Everyone 
is all there and then you do your hour every single night for a month mm. and you hope that you you know you get reviewed and someone sees you and they're like we love you and they think that's the plan for me now is to like go to Edinburgh maybe not for the whole time but do like maybe a split bill or jump on a lot of other people's shows yeah. and just sort of like gauge what the vibe is and yeah that's yeah, exciting that's really exciting mm. yeah so you have a game plan yeah I have a game plan for the year. Yeah, I went out with my agents on Wednesday. It was really weird because I called the meeting. I was like, hey, it's the new year. We haven't really like chatted. And I was like, if we could have a meeting to like see what's happening. And both my agents are both called Simon. And so it was like me, Simon and Simon. And then one, me and Simon were having coffee and tea. The other Simon arrives and he was like, why is no one drinking? We're all having a drink. So I was like, I can also have a Bloody Berry. Happy to drink in the day. So yeah. I love a drink. So we were chatting and then it was just like, this is what we think would be good for you at this stage. We just don't want you to get so burnt out that you hate comedy. That's uh. what they're trying to avoid. Their whole thing is like, don't burn Kate out so that she hates comedy and doesn't want to do it anymore. They yeah. just want me to be like happy doing comedy and not push me too hard, but also get me whatever they can get me. So, they, mm. I mean, I like them, but I like anyone that buys me drinks. So it's, yeah. that's really a the slight problem with my life. I'm very easily manipulated, so. Interesting. It's interesting that your agents are wary of you getting burnt out by comedy. I mean, have you ever felt that? Like you're feeling burnt out by comedy at any point in your life? All the time. All the really? time. I regularly burn myself out. Yeah, because I, really? I go at it really hard. Like yeah. I'll do five, six shows a week for like three months, or like spots, yeah. and I'm running around town. Yeah. And then I get to the end of three months and I'm like, if I have to tell this same story again, <sighs> I will punch someone. Like, I'm so angry and so done. And I don't, And then you just stop caring about the audience. An audience can sense it if you don't care about them. And so yeah. then I just, like, take myself off for a little holiday and then I come back and I'm like, all right, refresh, let's go again. Let's get some new material. Let's see where we're at. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's inevitable, right? It's inevitable because for the audience, like whatever you're saying is new to them. But yeah, like that's the thing about jokes is uh, they get old so fast, right? Like, like uh, my favorite way to write is uh, as I'm writing, if it cracks me up, then I know that it's a joke. And um, I love that first crack up. And then like for a couple of times there, it'll, it'll be still fun. And then eventually yeah. it's just like, I hate this joke. Yeah. <laughs> but for them, it's always this, new. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For them, it's always new. Yeah, sure. yeah. It's funny. Like the burnout is literally like, are we boring ourselves? Yeah. That's what mm. that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's, yeah, it's that. Or, like, I get fed up with the certain politics of comedy scenes. Like, I not so much uh. in Berlin, maybe. I mean, maybe a bit, but, like, I, it's the other stuff around it I can't deal with. Comedy does attract a certain kind of ego-driven man that I find uh. very exhausting, and it attracts a lot of quite gross sure. predatory men. I find For that sure. stuff quite triggering and quite exhausting yeah. as a woman to deal with. So. For sure. For sure. Yeah, that's yeah. everywhere. That's that's like a lot of, it's always a lot of that. Yeah, it's the worst. Oh my God. Yeah. I, mm, okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, um, I want to know more about this book that you wrote though. So it's a fiction, it's a sci-fi. 
and uh it's it's in this sort of like feminist utopic world where women have the power and men don't and um like what compelled you to start writing this how long have you been working on it what is your writing routine like yeah i want to know more um so i wrote it I was living in India for my master's. I was studying at a university in India and India's got a quite right-wing government right now that was making a lot of, uh, universities are like often by nature quite inherently left-wing and it was doing a lot of stuff to shut this university down or to change things. I like very real things like shutting down the sexual harassment committee in the university, for instance. So that like there were women who made cases and then these cases were like kind of closed and then reopened by other people without their consent. A lot of stuff just like was going down and I was living there with uh, my best friend, uh, Sanskriti, uh, who lives there and I was staying in her room and I just had been given this kind of chunk of time where I hadn't finished my master's and so I still had like bits of money coming in, like not money that you could like, you know, it's like students kind of money. So about 500 pounds a week, um, not a week, a month. Imagine if it was 500 pounds a week, I would love that. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, I was living on about 500 pounds a month, which is like really okay to live on in India for sure. And okay. um, I thought, oh, okay, what would you do if someone had given you this when you were like 16 and you know, you had to work and whatever. And um, I realized I would have like written or I'd have done something creative to try and find a way of making like money they always say don't write a book because you want to make money and so I started writing this book and I had a friend who said we should write a feminist science fiction together so I started writing it for her and so it's written all as though I'm dressing this friend who was like had been in India but was no longer in India because that was the case she had been in India she was no longer in India she's from California actually and um so I wrote it all as though it was addressed to her and then it just it just became this habit I got into and often I would write it when I came home late at night after I'd been drinking, because I, I do like to have a lot of uh, a fun. T- I'm a fun time drinking girl, so I'd write it like that, and then in the morning see what was like good to keep and so on. So a lot of it just was, hmm. yeah. And then at some point, I guess like a year later, and then I went through a period where I was very angry at men because I got treated very badly by one man, and hmm. then um, sometime around the autumn of 2018. I just sort of smushed it all together and it was about 40, 50,000 words. And I was like, huh? And I pretty much kind of tucked it away on my laptop and then started doing stand up comedy maybe a couple of months later in Berlin. And then I asked a couple of friends to read it. And one friend of mine said, uh, she didn't, she read a, like a beginning of it. And then she said, oh, you should apply for this competition that Penguin, the publishing house was doing. And I applied yeah. for that competition and, um, it got down to the final 50. And that's when people sort of like within that kind of world started saying, you know, editors of Penguin started saying, you should look for a literary agent. You write very yeah. well. This has the potential for something, yeah. that sort of thing. So then now I feel like it's, it's there and I don't, know if something will happen with it or whether it'll end up coming into the world and the sentiments and the feelings that I felt when I wrote it don't apply so much. I mean, bad men are still a problem in my life, but they don't, I'm not quite in the same headspace or the same feeling as I was when I wrote it, but 
Right, right. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, some art is not always for public consumption. You know, like you said, like some mm. jokes are, you know, not, even mm. if they work, they're not for the audiences, they're for you or whatever. Like, I, I mm -hmm. do really believe that. Mm. But then on the other hand, it would be quite yeah. nice to have a book, I guess. That's interesting. It's similar to, um, like, getting tired of your own jokes then, right? It's because you're no longer in agreement with that or you're no longer the same person as when you wrote that joke and you know like it could have been a week later or three days later and you're still a, you're a different person by then of course you're in a different headspace by then but the if the joke is good and it lands and it still does and i think it's it's applicable here with the book as well um i think a sci-fi a feminist sci-fi is like a definite genre it's like a definitive genre and that's the kind of thing that literary agents and publishing houses like they like definitive genres they like definition they don't like uh vague could be anything boundaryless borderless ambiguous kinds of texts um which is ironic because like a lot of modernists were that like james joyce and virginia wolf and you know uh but it's um definitely there's definitely a market for it so i think you should give it the full life that it mm. that it has potential for like if it has the potential for a full life why not even if you're not in that headspace in fact if you're no longer in that headspace you're in a healthier position to market it and sell it i would say that's how i feel and if you took it as far as uh, this competition with editors telling you that this has potential, then you should really, really give it that full, the full go mm. rather than say that, well, I'm not the same person anymore. So why? And I understand that because I was, um, I was revisiting some old authors that I really loved when I was in my twenties. Like I really loved uh, Bukowski, for instance, like I read all of his novels and poems when I was like 20, Two, and then um i was when i was in college i read a bunch of like kurt vonnegut books and then recently i was trying to reread uh one of bukowski's books it's an autobiographical novel well all of his books are autobiographical but it's more like like a beginning to end autobiography it's called ham on rye it's a very beautiful book and i was trying to revisit that because i was working on my own autofiction and i couldn't read it I was like, I'm really over this person. Like the window mm. in my ability to access this person's head and voice is closed. And so I stopped reading it. And then a friend of mine lent me a book written by Vonnegut called Slapstick that I never read. Like I had never seen this book. And he was like, oh, it's like a beautiful book. And it was like a first edition. It was like very like physically a beautiful thing. So I read the first few pages, which was the prologue, which was really beautifully written. It was very moving. And then when the actual book started to go, I was like, yeah, like I, I'm not interested in any of this, you know, so I just returned it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think, I think that's similar to when we're writing something like we can't, maybe we can't access it anymore as the writer and fall into that world, which is what we do when we're writing. Like you would write at night and then edit in the morning and you were absorbed in that world and you were able to like create things, add things, move things around. But now it's like you have this distance from it 
and some dryness from it. And that is probably the best position to be in to edit it and give it structure and start writing query letters to agents because you you don't have this preciousness around it and you're able to be a little bit little bit more deliberate in being like well i'm focused on the marketing aspect now which is hard yeah. to do if you're so attached to the work so yeah i say i say write the query letters i say find that agent yeah yeah i have like i've done a couple of agent letters i've all had like very nice rejections i've had one last the whole manuscripts it all break a lot of them are like we think it's a great idea we just don't think it's for us which i understand because it's a controversial book as well yeah well i mean query letters and getting an agent is no picnic I mean, you have to write dozens, if not hundreds, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's like finding it's like finding yeah, I've, written, I've written like, like three. Finding... So, yeah. Yeah, that's nothing. That's just a drop in the bucket. You have to write a lot. So I say keep doing it. Don't get discouraged by three rejections, you know, um, I mean, you will feel the Thank discouragement you. and the that's rejection, but get over it, you know, like pull, put on your big girl panties and get over it. <laughs> Because having a book, having a book, it, it, it's a credit. It's a credit and it will help your comedy career. I'm sounding so L.A. right now, but that's, you have a book, right? That's a thing. Yeah, I do have a book. I do have a book. And it was very difficult yeah. getting that book out. And my book is no, in no way uh, commercial and it's in no way a definitive genre. It's very uh, vague and ambiguous and it was a hard sell, but I still got it out. You know, and I, yes. I wrote that when I was like 23, you know, and then That's it was crazy. out by when I was like 27 or something. But it took a long time to get it out. Yeah. And um, I say give it the full life that it deserves. Yeah. Give yeah. It a good old college try. Yeah. Yeah. And if uh, if all the literary agents say no, then the next step is to look for small publishing houses because they work sure. directly with authors and smaller publishing houses might be a little bit more daring because agents they are well-meaning and their goal is not to take care of you their goal is to make money is to sell you you yeah. have to keep that in mind they okay they say we don't want to burn out kate they're not saying we don't want to burn out kate because we love her they're saying we don't want to burn out kate because we need her to stay intact so that we can get as much money out of her so think it's of, the, but that's the bottom line. Don't ever, 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 ever be naive about agents. Agents don't know shit. All they know is how to schmooze and then get contacts and they can open up gates and doors. That's mm -hmm. their job. That's why you get an agent because they're willing to be an asshole and yeah. be a dick. and be Yeah. On your behalf. You, we need that as artists, but I I'm never naive about my like my agents like my representation like they don't care about me and my personhood and my humanity and my artistry they care about me getting my headshots and then me booking stuff so that they could take their fee so think of it the same yeah. way with literary agents like sell yourself and your work and then try to get them to represent you in the best way possible so they could get the highest maximum mg and then they could take their fee and then be done with it Whereas publishing houses, they will, they would want to work with 
like a very unique kind of project, especially if they're smaller indie indie publishing houses, they're more willing to take a risk. Um, and agents don't do that. You know, that's why they say like, oh, this is probably not for us because they are not risk takers. Agents are sniveling fucking, you know, like they're pussies. So yeah, like keep writing the query letters. I think, I think it sounds great, you know? And um, ultimately it'll help you with your comedy career. That's the thing. Like keep that bigger vision in mind. I sound like a life coach right now. I don't mean to sound like a life coach, but you know, yeah, no, I would, um, I would, I would encourage you to get the book out is my, is what I'm saying. Um, Thank you. Okay. I forgot that we had like such different energies as people. I just adore you so much in such a kind of, (laughs) we're just very different people (laughs) i do i always did i did for the first time i saw you which was before i began thanks oh really oh interesting Mm. yeah i think it was gamused and i saw you and you were like one of my favorites and i was like i love her oh thank you back to the us and then you came back and then i was like i want to be her friend and then we felt (laughs) women of color show woke panties yeah oh that was such a fun show like i whenever i feel bummed out i just bring my mind back to that place and that time Mm. and how great it was like it was so packed and like the lineup was great there was some drama but you know whatever took care of it and it. it was like just a warm space and atmosphere like the audience the crowd was amazing like and it was such a small space too like such an intimate space that yeah people couldn't sit so they had to like sit on the stage literally yeah. or on sitting the on stairs the floor, yeah, yeah Pat, sitting on the yeah. floor tr- like trailing out onto the street it was like a really special time and um yeah. yeah i'm so happy that we got to do that show i loved mm. that show so much i think with that night was so good and yeah you're right it was like one of the warmest audiences and then we did it a couple of times more before the pandemic i think i saw carmen um also berlin comedian the other day she's yeah. in london and she was like oh yeah we all missed like all of the women of color we miss your show because it was like you got the nicest audience like they were so ready to be like we are supporting these yeah i know yeah like that's when you know that the audience does matter it really does yeah, sure. like yeah. um the energy that they brought to that room was so yeah. supportive and so accepting and so down yeah. you know and like yeah. Yeah, it makes the comics feel amazing. Yeah, and I don't think they were like an easy sell either. They liked a really dark joke. There wasn't. It wasn't like they were there going like, "Oh, we're just gonna love." Like they were just here for it when they were here for it, you know. And they yeah. were here for it because we're good comedians. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the lineup that we had the first show it it was like a it was a strong lineup too, and um, yeah, I was like, I was like, man, like. Uh, this stage time feels really good. Like, I remember that moment, you know. Um, And, like, honestly, you know, I'm not sure if I ever had that again, like, that good of a feeling where it felt like like the synergy with the audience and me was, like, that on point. Like, in that intimate of a space, like, I'm not sure if I ever had that ever again. I mean, 
you know that'll be the bar you know like that's the standard it's like is then it we've like got that? to like we've got to tour woke panties somewhere else i feel like then we've got to tour it in la i don't know if we can tour it in england because it would be woke knickers technically we don't yeah. really say panties <laughs> and woke knickers sounds is insane that's funny though <laughs> knickers is funny that's hilarious uh that's funny yeah i i think i tried to go to london a couple of times and i have one contact in london and she was so like not helpful i'd be like hey like i'm gonna be in london for a couple <laughs> nights uh like do you know of a place where i could ask for spots or get spots and her response was always the same she would always say no <laughs> it was like so yeah. fucking like harsh i was like okay fuck maybe she's just having a day and then like a year or two later i was going to be in london again and then i was like hey do you know of like any producers i could reach out to no <laughs> i was like all right so she's just a cunt like she's just a bitch you know <laughs> like because i understand like okay london's a tough scene but like you know i i do stand up in new york and la it's a tough scene there too like there are yeah. ways to find shows and and stage yeah. time like she's just like being wondering if i know who this unhelpful. is but uh yeah uh but you can message me and i'll give you as much advice as i can give like i'm I'm literally like everyone's like, I'm happy to dole out the lists of like, this is who to ask. This is where I would go. These are my favorite rooms. So nice. if you come to London, we'll get it. But I also, I really want to come to LA. That's like, it's literally on my vision board for this year. It's my vision oh, board. Oh, good. Board. Great. Yeah. And then there's oh, Hollywood. Because yeah. <laughs> I want to go. Like, yeah, come to I've LA. Never I've never been. Gotta come to LA. Go. Oh, you would love LA. I could totally see you like living here. Yeah. Everyone you know says I'm going to hate it, but I think I'm going to love yeah. it. Those people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, <laughs> like, okay, there is there is a part of LA that is very hateful. But that's true of any that's true of anywhere. And sure. you have to be willing to look for the part that you love and focus on that love in order to love mm. that place. Like I, when I first moved to LA, I moved here in 2015. So that's a long time ago. And I hated it for the first like five years. <laughs> I hated it here. You liked it you know? since the pandemic is when it changed for basically, you and you were like. <laughs> that's like not even a lie. That's basically <laughs> the truth. I started loving it more when I was leaving LA a lot, like when I was going to Berlin and when I was like, you know, traveling a lot, like you know, every time I left LA, I would come back and I would appreciate it more. I'd be like, this really is the city and town for show business, or this really is the yeah. country where stand-up comedy gets a lot of respect and there are reasons for it. Like, so I would start appreciating LA every time I would leave and then I would see what's out on the other side. And then I would come and be like, okay, now I see why LA is valuable. And, um, weather here is really great. And people here are very productive. Uh, rent is expensive, but you know, people manage, um, this is this is this is what I kind of see you doing. So like you write your book, right? You get it published, you go to Edinburgh, you do your thing. And then, and then you adapt your book into a TV pilot and then you move to LA. That's what I see you doing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And then you, and then you sell it like, um, what's that? She's, um, she has two shows. I may destroy you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mikhail. It's like that, but yeah. But you're it's like more lighthearted. I mean it's dark, but it's like more lighthearted because it's not like too real. You know what I'm saying? Like I mean she she is dark. Like she is like she yeah. fucking digs. Right. Yeah. And of course she had to, like she had a life altering experience, but I mean, that's kind of what I see for Kate, you know, like, okay. Yeah. I love that you see Visit that LA. Me. This is a really nice Visit LA. Yeah. I think I might come actually, I might come. This is actually a meeting I've called because I want to ask if I can come and see <laughs> in October. I think I might come around yeah. then because I've got a friend's wedding in Mexico. So I thought I'd do both. Oh my God. Yeah. Mexico is amazing too. Fuck. What part of Mexico? Mexico City. Oh my God. You're going to love Mexico City. You're going to love it. Mexico City is amazing. The people there are like so cool. They're so cool. Like everybody there is like cool and like intellectual and artistic. And the food there, like the seafood there is like, like none other shit yeah you're gonna love mexico city yeah and then yeah and then come come to la yeah it'll be fun that's what i'm thinking end of next year yeah. a bit of great see great. if i can jump on some open mics see if people get my weird british humor and period sex jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you'll figure it out you know la la open mic um rooms are it could be really atrocious really 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 atrocious <laughs> Uh, so like, let me know in advance, like exactly what dates you'll be here. And then I'll try to get you in touch with some like local show producers and then, mm-hmm. and then try to, uh, yeah, give you some stage Maybe time in that see. regard. We'll go see if we can organize it with the other women of color comedians in Berlin to get a woke panties reunion show. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Uh, Munich. Do I know yeah. anybody in Munich? I know somebody in Hamburg. Do you know Mimi? Mimi. Yeah, no. she's in Hamburg. She's uh, she's. Yes, I think we met once, one time, maybe in the middle of yeah, yeah. lockdowns. Yeah, she's a Vietnamese. She's a mom. Mm. She's very young. She is like amazing. I love Mimi. Yeah. yeah. So if you go to Munich, reach out to her. I'm sure she'll yeah. be down. And she's a good comic too. She's funny. Um yeah. and she's like a pleasant person to like have around. She's like she's like rough around the yeah. edges, but like very warm, you know? Like, yeah, I love my me. Um Yeah. Okay, so I well, okay. Well, let's finish your vision board thing. Like, what else is on your vision board besides <laughs> Hollywood? <laughs> well, I only made it I'm yesterday, curious. the vision board. But oh, I just had to great. I hadn't made that's my great. That's to fresh. vision board yeah it's fresh um so it's it's random stuff so this is a picture of bert and ernie and that's only because my soap said if you you will find the bert to your ernie so i'm looking for the bert to my ernie okay and that's some kind of like love vibes yeah. like someone who's like they don't have to be romantic but like some kind of soulmatey kind of oh, partner yeah. in crime person yeah and then yeah hollywood sign and then like, a little suitcase because i want to go to la um, uh-huh. And then here is like, well, this is a black lady doing some writing. So I was like, that'll be me writing my book. And then this, I didn't yes. know, this is just a sticker that kind of, it looks like I just want to go to Pride, maybe. Maybe I want to go to Pride, but maybe also do more like uh-huh. activism y stuff. And then there's a Vogue magazine because 
you know, you can reach the top and like dream that maybe you'll get a Vogue cover this year. I don't know what for. I don't know if they've ever put comedians on the cover of Vogue, but might as well <laughs> ask for it. And then yeah. here is the kind of London section, which is like, I want to find like myself because I've only been in London like a few months and I want to like really get comfortable here because I'm not like yet really comfortable in London. Um, and I want to find a really nice room to live in because my room's okay, but it's not great. And then these are some cats because I really like cats and I want to yeah. get a cat. And then these are just some people on a waterfall and I thought that looked like fun. So that's oh, my that's 2022 great. vision for them. I love it. I love it. It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing it. <laughs> welcome I don't usually tell anyone about it but I just thought I'd let you know about the LA thing that's all yeah <laughs> no, I'm not yeah. just saying it it's also on my vision board it's a serious desire for me you're gonna you're gonna manifest it as they say in yeah. LA right you're mm-hmm. gonna manifest mm-hmm. your vision um yeah I started making vision boards as of last year and like to get myself to make it was so brutal I was just like Oh God, are you doing this for real? You fucking pathetic piece of crap. Like I was like so resistant to it, you know, cause it's yeah. got like sort of like white lady vibes around it. Oh, yeah. And I was, I was so resistant to it, but I was like, you know what? No, this is, this is just something I'm doing. Cause it's fun. It's fun to do. Uh, mm. Why the fuck not? You know? And like I made two, I made two last year. And um, what I'm noticing is like, when you use magazines like Cosmo, Vogue, like a lot of these magazines, like uh, it just ends up becoming very like materialistic because there's so many <laughs> yeah, sure. like pretty things. And I'm like, okay, like things are nice, but I, that's not quite my vision, you know? Like yeah. my vision is to like, you know, like, I don't know, like sell a film, sell a pilot, you know, like yeah. get a touring manager, you know, like those are the concrete visions that I have, but it's hard to find a picture of that in Vogue and Cosmo. So maybe I have to expand my my magazine selections or something. You have to be quite interpretive with things. Do you know what I mean? So like yeah. I was looking for something that looked like a TV because I was like, I would like for this year to be the first year I get on TV. But yeah. I couldn't really find that. So I was like, all right, well, I could find a picture of a phone. So I'm going to put the phone there and then I'm going to put the Vogue cover there. And it's got like a general, I want to be in the media vibe. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I feel like that's all you have to do with that. Yeah. Um, oh, but I agree okay. that it's... It feels like it isn't, a, I wouldn't have done this historically. I've got way more crystal lady since, I don't know why, like just more recently in life. I don't know if I'm just like turning into my mother oh my who is a white lady, God. but um, yeah. it does yeah. feel like a, a white woman called like Moonbeam or something would make, do you know, it does feel like, yeah, but like it's for some reason inevitable. I'm becoming more of that. Um, I know. I don't, I think maybe, maybe it's to do with being single. I don't know. I'm just bored. I'm not getting laid enough. <laughs> Maybe it's all of it, but um, like I also started buying crystals not because of white ladies, even though it is very white lady ish, but because of my black female friends, and they were like oh, telling me to get that. into crystals. So mm. that it, it's a big thing in the black female community, at least in the states. There are a lot of like black witches who are into crystals. Sure. There are a lot of like. Um, yeah, 
like people like women into voodoo and shit so yeah uh embrace it like let your black part embrace that too yeah i think the thing is it actually if you look at it like these kinds of rituals and stuff they are more likely gonna be people of color it's going to be black people or indigenous people because they're the ones that culturally have been holding on to them for longer than white people but like everything that white people co-opt somehow they become the face of it even though it's nothing to do with them um but like my most yeah this felt like a very like what they call it white girl wasted in the u.s was um it was in lockdown i was living with my mom i was getting so very bored i went one night I just drank an entire bottle of rosé to myself, which feels like a very white woman thing to do. And then I woke <laughs> up the next day and I'd ordered myself not one, but two crystal dildos that I was getting <laughs> shipped all the way from the US to here. And there was like one that was rose quartz and one that was black obsidian. And then they arrived later as a package when I was out the house and my mum was like, what's in this really like weighty package that's come all the way from the US? And I was like, how do you say to your mom, like I got drunk and I ordered myself two crystal dildos like a mad lady. <laughs> I spent like $250. Like, I don't know, like, I should be spending that kind of money on crystal dildos. Like dear God, Kate. Oh, oh my God. I feel like it was Black oh Lives Matter God. time though. So it's like, you know, I had to treat myself for all the suffering you, I was having to witness. <laughs> you fully deserved it. And, um, that's so fucking funny, man. Because, <laughs> oh my god, I was like, because I I got these crystals. I don't know what to do with them exactly. I'm like, what do I do with them? Like, do 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 they just sit there? Do yeah. I put it in a certain corner of my room? Am I supposed to hold them when I meditate? What do I do? But you have such a literal <laughs> way of using it, which is putting it into your vagina, and it is like maybe that is the way to use crystals it's like no 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 you've been all doing it fucking wrong you want to improve your chakras stick it up your cunt yeah. and orgasm <laughs> that's the stick it way up your cunt should yes. be the name of this like the yes. tagline of this company yeah 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 stick it up your cunt and then improve your chakras <laughs> that is the like you've all been doing it incorrectly this is the only way that works fucking hell <laughs> that is amazing i need to look into these yeah. crystal dildos now fuck my life okay okay i'll okay. send you a link <laughs> yeah please do i i mean yeah it's crazy i i need to see this okay okay uh i don't want to eat up too much of your time uh but let's uh i always end these podcast episodes with a series of flashcard questions based on a specific k-drama uh, you don't have to have seen it. I just tell you like a situation, circumstances, character description, and you just say what you would do if you were in this person's shoes. Okay. So, okay. The show that I'm going to be talking about is called producers. Uh, let's say that you're a young man named Sung Chan and you graduated from a top rated university in Seoul. And you were supposed to become a lawyer, but instead you decided to become an intern at a public TV network, KBS, to begin your career as a TV producer. And you're just a rookie producer and you have no idea what show business is like or about. You have no sense of decorum in this in this network space, nothing. Your first assignment is to go to a a handful of veteran 
actresses in their 50s and 60s and tell them that they're all fired. And you go to the most senior actress, Yoon Yeo-jung, and you try explaining to her that she is fired, but she cuts you off mid-sentence and tells you that she gets the gist and you don't need to say any more. But later, you realize that she did not know that she was fired, that she was assuming something different. In fact, she was the last to know that she was fired from the show. And now your direct supervisor is in deep shit. What do you do? Oh my God, this seems like such a complex issue with a lot of backstory. <laughs> um, okay, so you, is, has she been fired? She is officially now. fired, yeah. yeah. She's been fired, your producer's in trouble. Are people mad at you? Yes. yes. <laughs> Everybody's mad at you. Um, oh my God, I'm just like the worst. I can't deal with any kind of conflict as a human being. So <laughs> this feels utterly painful. Um, I would, and this is, I'm only taking this from an example in my own life when I was working in a pub and I messed something up where yeah. I sort of, I did a promotion and the promotion, I sent out promotion emails and I was wrong about prices and stuff. Oh. And then it, everything got screwed up. And also one time when I had to fire someone who worked in a pub is what I did is buy everyone drinks. That's what I would do. I'd say I would take out the older <laughs> actress lady and be like, I'm really, really sorry and buy her like a nice champagne. And then wow. my producer above, I'd be like, I'm really sorry, I messed up. And I'd buy him, yeah. a, it doesn't matter, any kind of drink he likes. Wow. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Kate. Okay. Very good. I'm British. This is the way we deal with Oh stuff my in, God. In yes, you are. You are so British, girl. <laughs> you don't need to explain. Trust me. My God. You know, I'm actually, I'm reading a book right now. Uh, you might, you might like it if you're into nonfiction. It's called The Center Cannot Hold, written by Ellen Sachs. Ooh. She's a psychiatrist and a lawyer. And she is also a schizophrenic patient. So she writes her whole life about uh, being this very um, well-respected academic intellectual who struggles with schizophrenia. And there's a period when she spends five years in uh, over in Oxford. And it's like, <laughs> like she's from Florida originally. So it's yeah. just that she's like dealing with the, the cultural differences between yeah. America and, and, in the UK and she's just like it's so fucking different like British people really yeah. don't want to disrespect you in any which way it's like they never want to yeah it's, it's really quite severe okay, okay that's okay. I'm surprised right. that you said yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay okay let's say uh you're Yejin now you're a, you're a different person you're a woman named Yejin you're the head producer of a very well-known live music program and there's this K-pop star named Cindy who is wearing a see-through top. But you tell yeah. her that she can't wear that on public broadcasting because it's like the censor the censors would lose their shit. So Cindy agrees to wear a jacket over her top. But on stage later, during the live take, she takes off her jacket and she's in that see-through top. What do you do? Um 
as um as me as Yejin, do I need to kind of reprimand her? Yes. Um, well, I'm not I saying yes. Like I'm just. Uh, firstly, because I just think everything's easier over a drink. <laughs> okay. okay. And I'd be like, look, I get it. Maybe you're of a different generation than me. We all support mm. Free the Nipple. I get it. Mm. I'm out here and I feel like, you know what, even women's bodies shouldn't even be sexualized in this way. Yeah. Like I, I spent yeah. time in Berlin where people had their tits out in the park and it was fine. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. But the problem is, is the capitalist world we live in, we rely on sponsors for our TV and we rely oh. on advertisers. And these people want to appeal to conservative families. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. this is just not the game we are playing. So if there is a way I can support you with you having a see-through top in another mm -hmm. capacity, but while mm -hmm. we're in this arena, we have to play the rules of the game and we have to figure out how we can maybe change that on a society level from the inside, but this is not the place yeah. maybe where that can be a thing. Oh, very diplomatic. That's beautiful. I love that. Uh, very good. Yeah, I love that answer. Okay, okay. Let's say uh, you're a different producer now. You're a man, a male producer. Your name is Raj Mu, and you're the mm. producer of a reality variety series called Two Days, One Night. It's a very popular show. And you're on the set of the show, and the K-pop star Cindy is acting like a real diva, okay? Like she's oh. not doing certain things that she's told to do. She's like being like just... just Cindy's nightmare. Being a diva. Yeah, being real difficult. So you assign the rookie producer, Sing Chan, the one that who the one who fucked up with the firing the, the older veteran yeah. actress ladies. Who I was you, before. Mm -hmm, yeah. You hire Sing Chan to grab her takes. So you assign him to her, okay? And yeah. the two of them get lost for like a whole night out in the woods somewhere. <laughs> now the the gimmick on this program is that the star has to play a series of games and if she wins the games that she wins a meal if she w continues to win then she wins like a, a comfortable night's rest but she loses all the games and she doesn't get any food and she doesn't sleep a wink but later you find out that cindy regularly suffers from insomnia and an eating disorder and you're plagued by the guilt of this. What do you do? I, well, I would apologize to Cindy, even though it sounds like Cindy's being a nightmare. And I'm not entirely sure where she got lost, what, what happened then. But um, I would apologize, but I would say, Cindy, look, we live in a world which can not often be very, very kind and the problem, and it's not, and it's not your fault, because we should be more community oriented, aware of these issues. But the thing <laughs> with stuff to do with mental health is no one's going to look out for you in the end, and you have to. If you have an eating disorder and problems with insomnia, it's really important you don't apply to be on this show. Um, mm. And then I would probably try and hire some kind of mental health coordinator to maybe do more <laughs> mental health background checks for future episodes. Okay. You're like an HR lady. Like, you sound like you were, you're like an HR lady slash attorney. 
I think I'd make a great HR lady, actually. <laughs> as you know, horrible at conflict slash... resolution. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> HR lady, attorney, and human rights activist, like, fused into one. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very sorry for the world we live in. It's a really sucky world. But unfortunately, we do live in it, and we're going to have to play by certain rules, and that's that's all we can do to survive. But the nice thing is that we yeah. always get to go for, out for drinks, and we have a good time. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always alcohol to fall back on. <laughs> that's fun. Okay. Okay, okay. This so is, now, now, we're going to have to trigger warning yeah. this one. Like, if you're an AA, don't listen to this podcast. Yeah, no, don't listen to this shit if you're an AA. No, it's okay. They're fine. Uh, okay, let's say you're Cindy now. Okay, you're yeah. this famous K-pop soloist. All right, you were a K-pop trainee since 13 years old, so very young. You started your career very young, and everybody thinks you're a hot shot. You're a stuck-up asshole. You're you're arrogant, whatever. But the truth is, you have a lot of pent-up pain inside of you because when yeah. you were a teenager, your parents died in a car accident. And you never got a chance to mourn them properly. In fact, the CEO of your agency, Pyeon Misuk, she, she told you not to publicize the incident and to continue on with your duties as a pop star for the sake of your public image. And now you're in your 20s and you want to stand up to your CEO, but she's been like a mother figure to you. What do you do? I think this is actually the hardest one because I think I think even if a, your mother figure, if a parental figure or a caregiving figure, I think it takes years of therapy to realize that your mm. caregiving parental figure might not always, and sometimes not intentionally, have the best interests at heart. Mm. Um, so in your 20s, I could imagine that would be a real difficult realization to come to. Yeah. Yeah. I also don't know from experience that confronting that person ever particularly. I read a lot of Reddit threads um, <laughs> when I can't sleep. And, I, and the, the vibe I get from that kind of dynamic is if it's not, you either have to decide to go no contact or low contact with that person and try and redraw the boundaries. But I think that takes a really long time. And I think if that person is then responsible for maybe your career that you don't want to lose, I don't know, maybe Cindy's over being a K-pop star because mm. sounds like maybe she wants to live in the woods with sing -chan. Yeah. Is it sing -chan? <laughs> Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Does she want in or out of K-pop? I think that's the real question. Oh, okay. You would also make a good therapist slash life coach to K-pop stars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Uh, very good. Final, final question. Okay. You're Cindy again. All right. You're 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 hot shit. Okay. Uh, everybody loves you. Everybody thinks you're beautiful. You're very adored and very, you know, very much envied. Okay. You have a, you have a crush, on this rookie producer, Sing Chan, okay? Oh, but yeah, you have a crush on him, but you find out that Sing Chan likes somebody else. 
she, he likes oh. the senior producer, Yejin, the woman you butted heads with at the music show. <laughs> and uh, you thought, you thought, as Cindy, you thought that he had a crush on you because he was so nice to you and so caring. Yeah. But turns out he has zero interest in you as a woman whatsoever. Whoopsie. What do you do? I mean, it depends. What do we all do when we like a man that, you know, I mean, heterosexual <laughs> people are just the worst, aren't they? But like, oh, you know, I mean, there's a many a game you can play. You can mess around with that situation. I'm not saying I'm in a, I'm so like never messing around in a situation. The thing you should do is absolutely nothing. The thing you should do is, you know, is to leave him be, leave everyone be and go find someone who does like you or focus on yourself. But you yeah. know, you've been through some trauma. You're, you don't have any yeah. living parents. Maybe you'd yeah. like a, a man around that you like. So, you know, go mess with it. Start some dramas. You're young, you can recover. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. There are yeah. definitely situations I should have left alone in life <laughs> last week. <laughs> Let's say that I have not been leaving alone, but that's because I'm a petty bitch. <laughs> uh, I'm a good-hearted yet petty bitch. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, we, you know what? We should allow ourselves to be who and what we are, where we are at in our lives, and still approve of ourselves. Um, yeah. Okay. We all make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I love that answer. All right, thank yeah. you, Kate. And no worries, because the men will be in cages soon, and then she can visit him when she wants in the cage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, on her own accord, at her convenience. Yeah. All right, good very good. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Kate, for making time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so nice to see you. <laughs>